hit, I'm gonna cry. It's not that much of a bummer. Oh, well, that doesn't matter. Okay. Speaking of bummers, this is queer half time. And it's <laughs> what? Gonna, we're gonna end it with queer joy. Okay. My name is Becca. I use she they pronouns. My name is Kelsey, and I use she they pronouns. And I've actually never been so scared because there was one point that we had a conversation that this was not a depressing podcast. No, it's not that kind of bummer. <sighs> I'm stressed. So yeah, My eyes are literally pouring. I know, but they always are. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we're going to talk about two Supreme Court cases in Canada that like did not go well for the people, but like they led the way to the decriminalization of like gay sex and the mm. legalization of same-sex marriage interesting so like i do love that yeah can we before we start i just would like to say because of the day we we're recording this yeah happy 420 remember cannabis oh. is decriminalized is legalized in canada but so many other drugs are not so while you're smoking your reefer and being all like Oh, I love that weed is legalized. Remember that there are people in jail for possession of substances that shouldn't be in jail for that. Okay. Decriminalize. I mean, if we're going to get on that, then let's I talk just about like, to make like a amnesty little... for people with pot offenses. But do you know what I mean? Um, like, I just wanted to be like, oh, no, everybody I'm, celebrate I'm, 420, but also remember that I'm adding to privilege. it. I don't think people should have those on their yeah. records, especially indigenous men. Yeah. Um, so we oh, at Out Loud stand for decriminalization of all drugs. Yep. Huzzah. Which I think we've talked about, but yeah. Well, I don't know. It's 420. I feel like you have to say it on that day because everybody smokes their wheat and does their like cannabis heavy thing and doesn't acknowledge yeah. that like we come from a very price, very strong place of privilege where as a white person, you can smoke cannabis in any situation under the understanding that it's legalized, but there are a lot of racialized and indigenous folks that can't, yeah. that still get grabbed and questioned if they're yeah. smoking a doobie on the side of the street. So like, Acknowledge your privilege today. Yeah. <laughs> you picked 420 to record one, so... You know what? I didn't even realize what day it was. I did. So. So, decriminalizing queers. Yeah. So, at this point, in the 1900s, which is where we're starting, mm -hmm. um, Canada, in its entire existence, it has been a crime, like a serious crime for men to have sex with men. Mm -hmm. Um... <laughs> This is where, so, it's a fucking incredible word. Um, so men having sex with men was called buggery. Wow. And it was a major felony. Um, other sexual acts fell under the statute prohibiting what was called gross indecency. Um, this law is grossly indecent. Yeah. So, that's just to remind everybody where we are. To remind everybody that it's Shit's super illegal. Mm -hmm. um and yeah so we've spoken about how like the paranoia around queer people got worse after world war ii um and there was a big purge the rcmp tried like entrapping gay men in washrooms and parks where they were known to meet and like have sex um which we i can hear your rings but only you can hear my rings well we'll see <laughs> <laughs> you're also doing it right behind my head <laughs> we listened to a speaker named martin boyce last year around yeah. this time actually uh who was at stonewall and he was talking about how you could always identify the undercover cops by their clod hoppers as mm. he called them which is like their cop shoes and like it's kind of similar at protests even now because they're more into like sticking with uniform standards than like actually being successful yeah so like undercover cops all have the same haircut and like a lot of times you can see the fucking like their bulletproof vests or yeah. like their zip ties and shit or like they'll have an armband to identify them to their cop buddies and mm -hmm. they'll have the standard issue boots or <laughs> be trying to incite violence you know there's a whole way they go about this. it's usually Google it. <laughs> yeah you can usually it's it's like a game at yeah. some protests it's like spot the cop <laughs> so uh the 1950s um was actually a time of slightly increasing tolerance Okay. Uh, in Great Britain, a study known as the Wolfenden Report recommended that homosexual behavior between consenting adults be decriminalized. Uh, based on its recommendations in 1967, the British Parliament legalized sex between consenting adult men in private. So, good job, Britain. You did one good thing. Interesting. Just adult men. Well, so we've talked I about... I know, yeah. How about it how wasn't... 
really illegal for women to have sex because female sexuality was not really considered a you know yeah an issue like it was i mean it was an issue it just wasn't a legal issue yeah okay yeah i just find it so interesting that like it's more disgrace than illegal but it's like weird that they would like specifically like you would think they would just like be like well because it was <laughs> sex between two consenting adults it was men who were getting arrested right yeah like they yeah female sexuality wasn't really considered too much so like we talked a little bit last time about like how women and like lesbians didn't really come into yeah. it until like a little later on where they started to be focused on more um but yeah so yeah adult men in private the canadian government however um did the opposite so (laughs) prior to 1961 a person in canada could be designated a dangerous sexual offender and subjected to preventative detention which is basically a life sentence um if he was considered likely to cause uh injury pain or other evil to any person through failure in the future to control his sexual impulses um and this yeah included gay men Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Prime Minister John Diefenbaker toughened the law, adding or is likely commit to commit a further sexual offense. Um, so they're basically, what is that movie? The Tom Cruise one. It's not Total Recall. It's like there's the pool of people who can, like, minority crime. Yes. They're minority reporting gay people. <laughs> and if I recall correctly, that movie was based so far in the future that still hasn't happened yet so i don't think they have the technology to do this um yeah so basically under the new wording a person who is likely to repeat the crime um that they had already been convicted um which includes like just things like masturbating with another man like you're just in the same room um so they could basically be sentenced to life in prison why because gays gays are bad like (laughs) So this is where we get to our friend Everett George Clippert. Have you ever heard this name before? No. Okay. So he was born in Kindersley, Saskatchewan in 1926. He was the youngest of nine surviving children. Wow. And the family moved to Calgary when he was two. Uh, After finishing school, he worked in a dairy farm and then as a bus driver in 1960, he was charged with and pleaded guilty to 18 counts of gross indecency and sentenced to four years in prison. Uh, And this gross indecency was around being gay. Yep. Yeah. So, this is not important, but out for my own curiosity, when they were would like charge somebody for eighteen counts, was that like eighteen times of being gay with the same guy, or eighteen different guys? So, I think it like obviously I'm not a lawyer. I'd be no. making a lot more money. Uh, <laughs> but usually it's like individual charges, mm. right? So it's like you did it this time with this person, or like this other time with it could be the same person or with a different person, or like there were three different like yeah. That's so interesting. How do you get that information? Um, fucking entrapping people and then being like, tell us all your gay friends and everybody you've ever hooked up with and everything you know about other gay people. God. Uh, after he was released uh, from prison, Clippert moved to a mining community called Pine Point in the Northwest Territories, where he worked as a mechanics helper. In August of 1965, he was questioned concerning arson against the mine manager. Uh, he was not involved in the fire, but during questioning, Clippert admitted to having had sex with four men. Oh, jeez. And therefore pleaded guilty to four counts of gross indecency and was sentenced to three years in prison. Uh, he did not really have any legal representation during the trial. So see, he's up to seven years in jail for being gay. Yeah. Over time. Thus far. Well, it's going to get a lot more. Great. So based on the fact that he was a repeat offender, uh, the office of the Crown Attorney for the territory concluded that Clippert upon release was likely to continue seeking sex with men, uh, which meant he could be designated a dangerous sexual offender subject to, like we said, preventative, aka indefinite detention. Mm. So two psychiatrists testified that he had no pedophilic or aggressive tendencies, but that he was, quote, incurably homosexual. <laughs> I love that that was right as you took a sip. Fuck, same. <laughs> like, doctor after doctor after doctor, and they're like, this is chronic. <laughs> chronic homosexual. Incurable. <laughs> it's a terminal case of gay. Oh, correct. So, despite the recommendation that he receive psychiatric care rather than prison, uh, the judge declared Clippert a dangerous sexual offender. Yay. <laughs> Because he's chronically homosexual. Yes. Incurably. Yes. Incurably. 
So his sister Leah uh, appealed the ruling to the Supreme Court of Canada. On November 7th, 1967, the Supreme Court upheld the sentence by a vote of three to two. So pretty close. Yeah. Um, Justice Gerald Fateau um wrote the majority decision which said that clipper was likely to commit further sexual offenses of the same kind with other consenting adult males i love that even the one of like yes he should be in jail was like yeah no they were consenting they were adults yeah like even you know both people are gonna want to do this that's how we know he's gonna do it again I feel like, <laughs> like, like these people always tell on themselves a little yeah. bit of like you can't even make it like it was not consenting or they weren't adults it was like Is yeah this- no whole like that whole quote about like the opinion of the nation doesn't belong oh so that was or something like that was that. pierre trudeau that was in the 80s oh okay um yeah something about like yeah the the government has no place in the bedrooms of the nation yeah yeah okay so, so that was when it was um decriminalized fully no decriminal legalized legalized yeah okay because there is a difference difference. and i feel like when you get there to a good point where it makes sense you should explain that because yeah i mean we could just do it now well great okay so what's the difference between decriminalized and legalized so legalized is more like hell yeah go for it and decriminalized is like well we're not gonna punish you and there's like usually restrictions around things that are decriminalized Mm. so like same with like decriminalized drugs is usually like you can have up to this much on you yes it's like usually a couple day supply mm-hmm. um if there's more you're put in front of like a social worker and a psychiatrist and so would we be decriminalized in canada or legalized so weed is legal okay and that's as because as they're aware. selling it on the side of the street so the it's like that's it's being marketed it's yeah. yeah it's very it's in the same thing as alcohol yeah right whereas drugs aren't going to be legalized i think ever which um, is why we aim for decriminalized. De- yeah. Yeah. Because so at least people won't go to prison yeah. for bullshit. Because the government's never going to like set up a crack shop and be like, hey, here you go. I mean, unless... I mean <laughs> you I say, that, yeah, but, I like, say that. But like, how do you think crack got into the inner cities? Yeah. So, but you know what I mean? It's Sup, like the CIA. I mean, we're, I mean, so the CIA didn't like sell it directly, but like they did fully support it and make money off of it with a whole like, yeah, it's a whole thing. If we were to ever get funded by like an actual massive organization like the CIA, who I don't feel like Dell's like, I mean, also funding. they're American. Oh, well, that helps. You're but thinking like, CSIS. But do you know what I mean? I'm like, we are like, what? We're going to get in trouble. I yeah. hope nobody ever listens to this podcast that has money. Or, or I hope they do and they give some to us. Yeah. Because we're brilliant. We do have a donation link in our link tree. Just saying. Plug it. Yeah. If you can afford to. Please don't feel like you need to, though. But we are very poor as an yeah. agency. So. But if you're also very poor, don't worry. Yeah, no, God. <laughs> um, yeah. So we know the so, difference between criminalizing, decriminalizing, and legalizing. So basically... I mean, I could also have been full of shit. I'm pretty sure that's what it is, but yeah. <laughs> whether So whether he deserved a life sentence for committing acts that were no longer even a crime in England, which, like, we are a constitutional monarchy under the British royal family. Which basically um, means that we follow what they do, right? At the time. The queen has to, or I guess the king, has to sign off on it. At the time, we followed closely. Yeah. Yeah, so this was, yeah, like, only a hundred years after Confederation, and, like, we kind of, I think it was the First World War, was, there was a saying that Canada entered the war a colony and left a country, Mm. um, which is where we kind of got respect, mostly for being fucking terrifying. Um, These things are important, because these are things that I didn't learn until I started hanging out with you. So, like, because I was like, I don't understand. It's a total tangent. Um, I just finished like a graphic novel biography of louis riel mm-hmm. and i kept calling my mom because she was a social teacher and i was like how come i never fucking learned blah, blah, blah. yeah she's like well kids in my class did i'm like well we didn't all have you yeah <laughs> yeah there's so much more to it than the shit that yeah wow. and now they try to be like he's the father of confederation and it's like hey government of canada you fucking murdered him yeah yeah although i loved fucking blake desjardins post like his first day in parliament about mm-hmm. like o- being only the second metis mp to step foot in here hopefully it goes better for me than it did the last guy <laughs> oh the shade oh the shade 
Only yeah. the queer community can throw shade like Oh that. my god. Like, yes. <laughs> that's my favorite. Incredible. So yeah, so things are, are no longer a crime in England. Um, is not, for, quote, is not for us to say our jurisdiction is to interpret and apply laws validly enacted. Which I would argue, hey, Supreme Court, it actually is. It's very much your job to figure out whether this should be a thing or not. Well, I guess that's why I was... Like when you said that, I was like, I don't know that I understand that because that seems so absurd. Well, it it is, is absurd. That real? That's, like, yeah, that's. I'm like, point. I must be misunderstanding that sentence because isn't that the whole purpose? Yeah. So the whole thing is like, yes, he should be in jail. He's likely to keep having sex with other consenting adults. And sure, it's not a crime in England anymore, but you know, it's really not our jurisdiction to say whether a law is just or not. But who am I to say that this person should be in jail? Yeah. <laughs> like, so there were two dissenting judges um and basically the one wrote that if the majority ruling was logically applied every man in canada who indulges in sexual misconduct with another consenting adult male and who appears likely if at liberty to continue such misconduct should be sentenced to preventative detention that is to incarcerate for life no one i think would quarrel with this suggestion that it would bring about serious overcrowding which i think is a little bit sassy i'm sorry are you saying that all of men in canada are queer <laughs> well, he's saying he's like bro if we apply this and put everybody who does this in jail yeah. you're not gonna have the room. jails are gonna be full yeah yeah like calm the fuck and down. then where are you gonna put like actual criminals Ex- well, exactly <laughs> yeah on the streets <laughs> so okay you want to hear an amazing name for a member of parliament yes bud orange mm Mm-hmm. So Bud Orange was Clippert's member of parliament. Uh, he objected in the House of Commons to Clippert's treatment under the law and told the CBC, it's ridiculous that any man would be put into jail because they are affected by a social disease, um, which is kind of like seeing queer people as having mental illness that could be cured by treatment was kind of the like enlightened way of thinking at the time. I know, mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> so he was woke for the time. <laughs> Well, he needs to wait the fuck up. Well, you know, this is also the 60s. Oh, this is only the 60s. So this is a year or two before the Civil Rights Act in the U.S. God help happened. me. So this is when all of our parents were alive. Well, fantastic. Yeah, this is the year my dad was born. So uh, partly in response to the Supreme Court ruling over Clippert, federal justice minister Pierre Trudeau introduced an omnibus bill that, among other things, would legalize consensual sex in private between two males who are at least 21 years of age, um, and the 21 has now been brought down in line with the rest of Canada. Um, a different version of the bill became law in 1969 when Trudeau was prime minister. Clippert, however, was not released from prison until 1971. Takes well to do that paperwork. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of papers. Uh, after his release, uh, he moved to Edmonton and worked as a truck driver. Cool. In the mid-80s, as he reached retirement, he got married. Um, not to a man, because it was the 80s still. Oh, I was all excited. No. Being like, oh, yeah. No. The marriage question is the next case. Okay. Uh, so he refused any requests from activists in the growing gay rights movement to march in pride parades or otherwise become a public figure representing discrimination against queer people. Um, he was basically like, I'm I got so fucked over for being openly. I'm not. I'm exhausted. Stop it. I'm married yeah. to a woman. Stop talking to me. Yeah. Um. He died of kidney disease at age 69. Sad. Yep. So in February 2016. Oh, wait a minute. Say that date again. February 2016. Okay. We're jumping way forward. Okay. Um. Basically, his story was told by the Globe and Mail. Um. And in response, um, Justin Trudeau said he was prepared to recommend that the government grant a pardon to Clippert and to consider pardoning all men who were convicted under gross indecency laws. Mm. Um, however, two June 2016 reports, one from EGAL, the other from a group known as the We Depend and Demand an Apology Network, said that the government owed not only a pardon, but also financial restitution and an apology to everyone who was persecuted and prosecuted because of their sexuality, including those in the military and public service. Yep. Um, yeah, so in 2016, he indicated he would recommend a pardon, uh, the following year, the Trudeau government formally apologized and issued a compensation package for men who were charged, convicted, and punished simply because they were gay. Everett George Clippard was the only Canadian ever declared a dangerous sexual offender and sentenced to what amounted to a life in prison for no other reason than he was a gay man. And outrage over that sentence led to the decriminalization of gay sex two years later. Good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
So thanks to him, we can bump uglies. <laughs> that's not what the kids say or something. Or I don't think <laughs> any kid has ever said that. Uh, I think that's more of a like a weird like dad <laughs> euphemism. <laughs> sounds accurate yeah okay. which kind of fits with the rest of your shit oh do you want to tell everyone you're oh, fucking joke? my dad it was, it's i think the most upsetting thing is that it is legitimately a funny joke <laughs> and i think that's what kills me the most <laughs> and the best part is that i came up with it on the spot i was becca has been becca books all of our pride festival shit and was working on bouncy castles and one company canceled on us and sent back our deposit and Becca was exploring other companies and I was all aggravated because it's going to cost us like an extra thousand dollars then yeah. because we have to switch companies or whatever. So I called our boss and was like, Hey, like, did you know, like, it's going to cost us this much extra money. I'm so annoyed. And he was like, Oh yeah. Well, like, why is it going to cost that much more? And I was like, well, you know, Terry, that's the cost of inflation. <laughs> get it? Cause bounty I know we, we all get it and we <laughs> hate it. <laughs> Listen, if I don't get like, like, putting a book for that that's joke. a good one like we also needed a little moment of levity in between oh. our two supreme court decisions it was so good anyways you can use that joke take it with there you, you go take yeah. credit for it it's yours kelsey's I fully i gift it to you i'm literally sobbing because yeah. it was such a good joke and i told that story like six times and yeah. nobody understands me you have reacted the way that i wanted i know my fiance I know just like rolled her eyes on me she was like shut up kelsey even terry was like ah ha ha and I was like, that's a good one. Oh and he was God. like, no, you think it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So, Anyways, at, happening at pretty much the same time, I think these guys were born like a couple years apart. Um, we're looking at James Leo Egan, hereafter known as Jim. Jim. I know this yeah. name. Yeah, I figured you would. Yeah. Um, so he was a gay activist, writer, politician, environmental activist. Um and like he's known for a whole bunch of stuff but the main one we're talking about is a supreme court decision in 1995 cool so he was born to james and nelly and had a younger brother named charles he was pretty indifferent to school but took a variety of science and english courses and dropped out in his second year of high school so he had always been attracted to the natural world and spent the years from 1937 to 39 working on farms near Baileyboro, Ontario, which I think is a good name. It's a good name for yeah, sure. That's a good little town farming name. Mm. Uh, he also tried to enlist after the declaration of war in September of 1939, uh, but was rejected due to a corneal scar, just like I. So he didn't graduate high school, but he was self-taught um, and educated pretty widely. Uh, he poured over books and magazines on biology and the natural world. As able-bodied men signed up to go to war, many employment opportunities became available for others. Makes so sense. he quickly he was quickly employed as a departmental technician at the Department of Zoology in the University of Toronto. And he later worked in the insulin production department um, of Connaught Laboratories. Wow. Uh, and in the tissue culture lab, he helped with typhus, polio, uh, and cancer research under the re- direction of Dr. Raymond Parker, a key figure in the search for a polio vaccine. With literally no education? I mean, it was the it was the 30s, 40s. You did not have to go to high school to do big shit. I think it's, you know, you still don't have to go to high school. Well, I mean, to do stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. You have to at least have a GED. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And probably more. Yeah. Like, but that's, like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So he's huge. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He did some really important work. Um. So in 1943, he successfully enlisted in the Merchant Navy, and served until 1947 and if you're like what is the merchant navy um it's basically like it's like non-military vessels that like moved troops and supplies so like they're still tied to the war effort but they aren't technically like they're not active service members Mm. so yeah he worked on several ships traveling in the mediterranean and south seas so he was introduced to like the gay world um, with like bars and clubs and cities in like London and Hamburg and like kind of just mm-hmm. got out of, you know, small Ontario. Mm-hmm. So back in Toronto after the war, Egan met John uh, Norris Nesbitt, aka Jack, in 1948, and they soon entered a committed relationship and remained partners until 2000. Cute. So uh, his laboratory experience led him to establish a series of biological supply businesses in 1949 and continuing on and off until the late 70s. Mm -hmm. 
uh, his reading interests extended to like gay icons of the day, including Walt Whitman and our buddy Oscar Wilde, uh, and the works of pioneering sexuality researchers like Havelock Ellis. So, like I said, really widely read. Yeah, dude. totally. There's this like, and like my uncle's kind of the same way. There's this theme of guys who like didn't finish high school because it like just wasn't their jam. Yeah. But they also have like the most like thoughtful, intelligent conversations because they just like, yeah, like my uncle who drives a truck like literally just listens to like audiobooks and like educational podcasts and like oh, side wow. shit all the time, and it's like, that's so cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like nice don't need to finish high school to be a cool person but also to our youth listening finish high school yeah just just it's so much easier it'll make your life easier if you just do it yeah yeah (laughs) we're not help yeah we're not condoning dropping out no um because now you can't work in a lab with a grade 10 education yeah (laughs) systems (laughs) so um in 1948, Alfred Kinsey's Sexual Behavior in the Human Male was published and was a big inspiration to Egan, who began to study homosexuality in greater depth. And beginning in 1949, he started writing letters to his local newspapers like the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Telegram, and the Toronto Daily Star, which protested misleading and sensational reports on homosexuality and defended it as a natural orientation. This is so funny because, like, the second you drop, like, Alfred Kinsley I'm like that that was like like queer coding when I was younger and just coming out was very like where are you on the Kinsley scale scale. it was like that like and nobody like now you say that to the youth yeah and they have no idea what you're talking about but it was literally like straight to gay yeah (laughs) where are you yeah I think it was like one to one I think it's seven is it seven I think it's seven yeah but it was always so funny because you would that's how you would like judge you know like it would be like it wouldn't be like are you bi are you pan are you was it like one was straight and like so we were briefly interrupted but it was for I think a moment of queer joy the sweetest thing ever (laughs) like so we are organizing a pride prom with um one of the school boards here in St. Albert and it's open to like not just kids from that school board um but one of the ladies from the St. Albert United Church um found out that we were accepting donations of formal wear for the kids who can't afford it and she was like oh I have a bunch of dresses like for my daughter and stuff to bring in so I was like oh okay and then she just brought them in and there's like she apparently had walked past a thrift store with her husband and they had bought like four like proper like wrong like dresses ball gown yes she's like oh like you know i saw this one in the window and had to get it and then her husband was like well if you're getting that one get this one too and like i'm like we thought yeah. that she was just bringing in like a couple like, dresses from like her daughter like she said like her daughter had a bunch of bridesmaids dresses yeah that she wanted to donate and then she shows up with like these like other dresses and i'm like they'll still have like bridesmaid dresses but whatever and then she's like well yeah no i was just at this thrift shop and i'm like you're actually yeah. going out and buying oh my gosh yeah formal so. wear for our youth her husband her husband's friend um recently lost a lot of weight and donated he's the one that her husband's friend is the one that donated all those suits to us oh nice so like yeah we were able to give a bunch of our trans mass kids like some really fancy suits which was really fun yeah so there's like yeah. i'm so excited for it's this. so cute it's gonna be so good we have a whole rack of formal wear now for the kids to pick from if they can't afford i know to get i'm their own. so excited for this oh one of our kids is planning a promposal for his partner like it's yeah it's just nice seeing these kids be able to be like normal teenagers with their partners without Mm -hmm. having to worry right like it's everything that we wanted yeah in life like I went to my prom was over the rainbow theme and I was not out yet and had to be like I like it's Wizard of Oz kind of yeah okay um but it was like i was like oh what a gay theme wish i could be gay <laughs> year. so we, like this is cool as shit here we don't really do prom we have like grad mm. which like you buy the big dress and like have limos and stuff and it's for like the grad dinner right so you have like this ceremony where you walk across the stage and then that evening everybody goes and gets in like their dresses and tuxes so you guys and, like, don't do grand march here what is grand march grand march is where they take all of the graduating class and parade them around an arena like a no. skating rink in their dresses like a fucking cattle sale no that's super weird it's li- they do it on the east coast yeah i did grand march and you have to do like three laps and then you have to stand 
along the boards of the skating rink and everybody looks at your dress and like stares at you and you actually feel and they sell tickets to it and like the whole rink sells out and you feel like you're being i assume it's a fundraiser of some sort for the school or like I mean, I don't, I don't know. I never. But I assume that money has to go somewhere. But like, I think it's it goes also to prom. Very... Prom is right after. Right. It's very funny though, too, because like, um, a lot of like, I remember a lot of the girls were wearing high heels for the first mm-hmm. time. So like, having to walk around an arena like for the first. So time. and this is the thing. So and you have to like, so you line up outside because they don't want anyone to see you. Right. So you have to line up outside along the side of the arena. Yeah. And you're lined up because there was like 140 something people in my grad class. Like you're lined up for like an hour. Yeah. Because I'm an R. My last name is Robin. So like I was towards the end. And then by the time you like are going around, you're covered in sweat. Yeah. You're disgusting. And they're literally like they announce you, your date. They announce your date. How often is it if you don't have a date? Oh, you're not allowed to go if you don't have a date. (laughs) You're not allowed. My date, I tried to bring my boyfriend at the time and he and I broke up two days before and I had to panic and bring some guy that I didn't even know um or they weren't gonna let me walk so this is for like the girls mostly right like not no the guys have to do it too but like it sounds like it's more to like look at the girls dresses and let them show off than it is like it is but the guys like if like did your boyfriend also panic and have to find some random girl like well he was older oh okay so like he wasn't he wouldn't have been there Chelsea whatever shut up but anyways (laughs) cool so they don't parade teenagers around like cattle no on the west coast which is interesting because if there were any place i would assume it but yes i would assume it would happen in alberta because of the whole alberta beef yeah yeah no there's no all we have in new brunswick is lobsters no and teenagers so what's really and i didn't go to this because it sounded like such a fucking narc party um (laughs) is there's like safe grad we have like the after Yeah. yeah So it's like you can have like a certain amount of alcohol. It has to be dropped off at the, the person who like. So yeah, so like there's a party afterwards. There's like a bus takes everybody there. They have to if they want to have it. They could have like a six pack or like this amount of alcohol. It has to be dropped off sealed like the week before at this one parent's house who's like organizing it. Like, I didn't go. Me and my friend went and watched Lord of the Rings and ate nachos and like fell asleep immediately because it had been a long fucking day. Safe grad where I'm from, they bus you to a different city and put you at an indoor pool where you have to stay awake for 24 hours after you've done prom and grad and everything, and you're not allowed to sleep, and then they bus you home the next morning. Why the fuck are you not allowed to sleep? Because it's a 24-hour party. That sounds like a nightmare. They don't provide hotel rooms. Like, you literally get dropped off basically at a rec center in a different city. Like, I thought Argus sounded like a nightmare, and it was not 24 hours. Yeah. Wow! That moment when you realized that, like, life on a different side of the country was, like, a fever dream. I know. This is why I'm convinced New Brunswick isn't real. Every time you tell me about shit, I'm like... I just wish, someday, please, somebody from New Brunswick hop on this podcast and validate anything I'm saying. Tell people that they sell milk in bags. I mean, like just You know? I guess so, but my L didn't really validate any of my New Brunswick That's true. We were too busy talking about exorcisms. I'm going to have to bring them on just to be like, tell people this is real and I don't just make this up. I mean, the bad milk thing we all know about. Mm -hmm. Well. I feel like that's more like Ontario and East. Maybe a little bit in Quebec. Yeah. It's true, but I'm like, people don't believe anything else I say. Yeah. I mean, I do remember when you told me about the car inspection thing and my little tinge of albertan was like came out really strong yeah about like you can't get your car registered if you don't get it inspected every year and then the mechanics can like fuck you around and make shit up yep. so you have to spend money and my like i keep thinking i don't belong in alberta i'm not like them and then in my head i'm like who the fuck is the government to make me do this every year and tell me if i can do because they use salt on the east coast and everything rusts they don't use yeah. sand because it doesn't but we we were using a chemical and then it fucked up a bunch of people's driveways and garages and everybody lost their shit and probably people's cars but you wouldn't know because nobody gets their car inspected in this province so only when you buy a new used car that was a very this is a massive tangent yeah what a anyway the kinsey scale (laughs) i do love that so yeah so jim um yeah started doing more research on homosexuality and Mm. all that goodness um and started a letter writing campaign and basically defended it as a natural orientation, uh, which was a super brave stance to take 20 years before homosexuality was uh, legalized in Canada, Uh, which because of this, he wrote 
under a pseudonym at first and then just started using his initials jle mm-hmm. uh, but didn't use his actual name until like quite a bit later on interesting yeah cool. yeah so at the beginning of the 50s it was not all that unusual for newspapers especially tabloids to use like super sensational headlines when covering the queer community like we've probably seen old like newspaper headlines about like queers flushed from love nest and pansies bloom in cocktail bar netflix crashes because of love is blind <laughs> uh so basically it like these kind of things suggesting that like gay people were abnormal and shouldn't be allowed in respectable establishments and so jim basically wrote to fight back against all the sensationalization and the slurs and all kinds of stuff um he said quote i simply let the press know that there was at least one person out there who was not going to sit by and let them get away with what i considered to be gross inaccuracies and libels i love that i know so from 1949 to 51 uh he expanded his letter writing campaign to mainstream um, american magazines as well uh, but they didn't publish his letters he also tried to sell story ideas that depicted homosexuality in an honest and straightforward fashion but was also unsuccessful uh, he began to correspond with other like-minded individuals uh, beginning in 1951. He, yeah, like talked to the founder of the Society for Human Rights, which was like the earliest gay rights organization in the U.S., um, editor of Friendship and Freedom, which is, you know, one of the early gay magazines in the U.S. Uh, by 1953, he was um, linked with members of the Mattachine Society in Los Angeles, um, another like super super early gay rights organization mm-hmm. so he was getting like really connected and like better known cool so his first real success in writing came in 1951 when his 17 part series aspects of homosexuality was published in a toronto tabloid true news times um he kind of gone beyond letters of complaint and now had a platform to publish like overviews of queer history and legal matters and science and all these things cool and basically was just trying to counter what he considered outright lies Mm -hmm. um, and distortions in the press good for him and to challenge what he called the conspiracy of silence surrounding the truth about homosexuality and this was really like a huge like key moment in the history of gay journalism uh, in Canada and the like really the first published like long articles from a gay point of view like there had been some long ones about like more of like an anthropological like look at these gays yeah. like straight people writing about yeah. gays yeah that makes sense the Canadian gay in his natural habitat and oh, yeah we should make one of those historical moments for that I think there is one about Jim Egan I don't know if there's oh. yeah oh I remember it's, that. it's later on though but was it about him as a queer person? So it was about the later stuff with him and oh, Jack and the decision right, around right. I do remember that we're getting to. Um, oh. So yeah, it was a later part of his life. Um, but it's, yeah, it's very cute. It's like these two men like holding hands, st- sitting by the phone, waiting for the decision. No! Um, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, he used his experience with TNT to expand to larger people kind of used it as like a stepping stone uh he persuaded philip daniels publisher of the toronto justice weekly to publish homosexual concepts which was a 12-part series um it was followed by an untitled series in 15 parts published between march and june 1954 um he really just like expanded his scope to include insights and debates on like the cause and cure of homosexuality he reported on current events like the per like the ongoing purge um by like mccarthy and in canada um he when he stopped writing for justice weekly he suggested that daniels contact foreign gay publications to ask about reprinting material um he did so and it resulted in reprinting of more than 200 articles of interest to the gay community from publications like one magazine and mattachine review uh, and this extended into the 1960s so these articles were a really important source of information for gay Canadians um, before the foundation of like the gay press mm-hmm. in Canada, which was in like 64. So in his personal life, Jim and Jack took up farming in rural Ontario and for a time ran a pet and garden supply store in Beamsville. Goals. I know they're very cute. Uh, Um, During this period, Jim's gay activism declined, though he did revive his letter writing campaign to newspapers and magazines uh, a little later on. Uh, Back in Toronto in 63, he served as a resource and tour guide, basically, to a journalist whose two-part series, The Homosexual Next Door, a sober appraisal of the new social phenomenon, 
was published in Maclean's magazine in February and March. Uh, and this was in 64. And for, you know, those outside of Canada, Maclean's is like the most mainstream magazine that you can get in Canada. Yeah. Like it's very, it's like mainstream news, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So he's kind of gotten in there. Wow. Um, And it was like the first, like, Canadian magazine to take a generally positive view of homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Like this wasn't like a, there's gays next door to you and they're going <laughs> to take over. And they're going to gay. They're going to gay. They're going to gay up your kids. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So 64 Jim and Jack's relationship was a little bit strained um, because of Jim's sort of more public activism. Jack was a pretty private person. Didn't want to draw attention because mm-hmm. again, it was legal. Yeah. Right. So he was getting a little worried um so they did split briefly um but jack persuaded jim to move to bc and they started a new life together um they started a marine biology specimen company that went until 1972 Uh, they moved around vancouver island eventually settling in courtney uh although they were not involved in gay activism necessarily uh jack's level of comfort with gay activism kind of started to increase and in 1985 they co-founded the comox valley branch of the island gay society uh, Jim was also a supporter of AIDS awareness and served as president of the North Island AIDS Coalition in 1994. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like a gay power couple over here. Yeah. Uh, so Egan's interest in the natural world let, led him to become involved with environmental activism and his desire to become or to make a difference to public service led him into politics. Uh, in 1981, he was elected. This is a very long title. Uh, the regional director for electoral area B of the regional district of Comox Strathcona. So like municipal level. Yes. yes. Uh, he was one of the first openly gay politicians to serve in Canada and was reelected twice, serving from 81 to 93 when he decided not to stand for reelection. So this is where that heritage minute comes mm-hmm. in. So 1987, Jim and Jack applied on Jack's behalf for the spousal allowance benefit provided under the old age security act. So these two had been together for 40 years. They met all of the criteria, uh, but Health and Welfare Canada denied the claim. I don't care at this point. <laughs> Our HVAC system just turned on. So if you hear it, please ignore it. Um, yeah, so they denied the claim basically like because of sexual orientation. They were like, you're not married, so you can't have it. Um, so they challenged this. Uh, under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, specifically that Section 15 we've talked about so many times at this point. <laughs> so their case uh, was entered in 1988 in the Trial Division of the Federal Court of Canada. They claimed discrimination um, against or under the Old Age Security Act and its definition of spouse, basically saying the current definition discriminated against same-sex couples. Uh, the federal court com- dim- dismissed their claim in 91, stating that the relationship was not a spousal one. They appealed the ruling to the federal court of appeal, uh, which in 93 upheld the ruling of the lower court, and they filed an application to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada. Um, so in 95, the court ruled on Egan v. Canada and dismissed the appeal. So like, no, mm-hmm. you can't have these benefits. But... And this is where this decision gets really confusing to me. They also ruled that sexual orientation is in the charter as a grounds of discrimination that's providing protection from discrimination based on sexual orientation. So this, and like a little bit of like the Clifford story as well, is basically like losing the battle, but winning the war. Interesting. Right. So they decided against these two in particular, they're like, but you can't discriminate on grounds of sexual orientation. Which I'm like, if... But we're about to discriminate on. I know. Anyways. Yes. Again, okay. Supreme Court doing the what best. They do. Yeah. <laughs> so because of the decision, laws across the country that discriminated on the basis of sexual orientation, um, basically in like employment, benefits, income tax, family law, all that, uh, were up for challenge and basically opened the door for other activists to, um, you know, start challenging things. It set a precedent and um that precedent included same-sex marriage in 2005 uh unfortunately both jim and jack passed away in 2000 one year before the first same-sex marriages were held in ontario which is where jim was born oh yeah so that's my ending i'm sorry it's such a bummer 
you know, it's a bummer, but I think that it's kind of cool because what I when I'm reflecting on this, I think a lot of these things like are happening. Like you, I heard 1991, 1993, 1995, right? Yeah. Like, and I think what that says to me is like I was at the very beginning of my life. Yeah, and massive strides were being made. Yeah. And people were fighting. And I think that that's like an important message to like, and I didn't know. Yeah. Right. And I didn't know until today. Like I knew, but I didn't know the in depth. Well, yeah. It's like, we have these like very specific versions of the fifties and Mm sixties. And it's that very white straight, like dad goes to work, mom stays home and has a benzo addiction. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but like underneath that in all these other communities, like outside of that, there was, you know, the civil rights movement. There was like the push for um, gay rights. There was all these things like women's lib in the early days. Like there was so much going on. Like, I think I can't remember if it was 1968 or 1969. Um, but I had a history teacher once describe it as the year the world was on fire mm. because of, yeah, the civil rights movements. Like I think it was 69. Cause it was also like Stonewall, yeah. like stuff all over the world, like all these huge, huge transformations in rights. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's not the like peaceful idyllic yeah kind of period I think we imagine it to be it's cool though because it like really like it mean like if you think about nowadays like you and I can probably speak to a lot of activists that are kind of like still trying to make massive strides but there are definitely youth that we work with that think that nobody's out there trying to make the world better yeah and I think what this shows is like you just sometimes you just don't know right and sometimes you don't hear the important names because society is like in such a place where they want to like stifle those voices yeah. that you don't hear that until you know you're 31 and you're realizing your own history right well, and it's like i was talking about with the fucking louis riel book i didn't know he was a member of parliament yeah like i was not taught that in school no. i didn't learn that he like had both the french and english on his side yeah i didn't know that the original like starting thing was fucking like um what is it when you fake write? I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. You write a fake thing as a lie. Yeah. Um, basically to incite it. And like they were like John A. McDonald was purposely trying to incite rebellion. So like yeah. he could use it as an excuse to send a bunch of troops out. And like the railway guys were like, you know, you can use us and then we'll get a bunch of money, even yeah. though our railway's not done. And like, yeah, it was just all this shit that you don't learn in school. And it's like, yeah, it's wild because there's massive pieces of our history that you don't learn there's just huge chunks that are missing yeah massive massive chunks it's so interesting like i had a meeting with a really great i'm gonna use this as my queer joy Mm -hmm. actually i had a meeting for a really great teacher and i'll talk to you about this a little more in depth depth (laughs) later um but and he he's working on a project and one of the things that he was talking about was he was talking about queer history with his wife and he's a straight guy Mm -hmm. And he was like, and his wife, somebody you know very well, um, was like, you know, the interesting thing about queer history is that most marginalized groups, like a lot of marginalized groups have a chance to be born into families that share the same history as them. So if you think of like a Muslim family or an indigenous family, like there's a high, like there is a chance. It doesn't happen all the time, but there is a chance that the people that you are born into learn your history, like know the history yeah, for if it's you and can that's pass it down. Heritable. Like, yes. if, yeah, you're born into, yeah, like a Jewish family, more than likely your parents are going to teach you your your history or your religion, your ethnicity. Like, or if they don't, like they choose not, right? Like, it's yeah. like there's a conscious choice there. Yeah. But when it comes to queer history, it's like my family is straight yeah there is nobody i am the oldest queer in my family aside from my cousin who is six months older than me and Mm. came out like forever ago um but i am like the oldest queer in my family so nobody has ever taught me this so i have to find it and it's just kind of it was just an interesting way to be like you know like yeah like there are people there are people that recognize that like there are people that realize that like it's really hard to find your history when you're a part of this community and like I like that we kind of keep like we talk about so many things on this podcast but we always kind of like flop back to some historical figure in Canada and I really like that yeah yeah well and like how recent it all is so like I was about 10 years old when marriage equality passed in Canada I do not remember that at all no like when I was 10 I think I barely knew who the prime minister was like I knew his name and that was about it yeah um but yeah, and like learning like, oh, 
like I couldn't you know when I was 10 people like me could only then get married yeah right like you know when my cousins were being born like people like me could not be in relationships openly like yeah Yeah. Yeah, It's a really wild, it's like a really wild experience, but it's really humbling. And it's also kind of validating because you're like, haha, we have always been here. We, yes. I was just talking about this the other day Mm -hmm. with a bunch of the kids too. Mm -hmm. Right. Like they were like, did you know that there was this gay person from like a couple hundred years ago? And I was like, did you know there was a Roman emperor? Yeah. Like, did you know that like, you know, all these things? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I guess, so my career joy is, um, I don't know. There's just been like kind of a bunch of little things that have mm. been really great. Like we talked about prom and all kinds of stuff. Um, there was this one really funny thing. It happened in group the other night um, where we had the kids designing the parade float because we're going to be in the Rainmaker parade and they wrote be gay, do crime in like rainbow letters. I was like, guys, like we can't advocate crime on our parade float. And so they put in like a little thing, like the little carrot, you yeah. know, and it was like, be gay, do not do crime like really small and then under they're like be a good citizen please yeah they're so sweet yeah they're incredibly fun and funny and yeah yes our children are my queer joy so yeah we solid reminder this week of why we do this because yeah very much that yeah we got we even got an email from a parent that had their kid attend the first group and they had a really great yeah. experience and that was the best ever we yeah. also had a kid that like flat out like god these kids are so woke and we had a kid sitting here that i was talking to that was chewing on a piece of plastic and i was like you need to get one of those chewy beads and this 10 year old looks me dead in the eye and goes no kelsey i need therapy and the best part of that whole interaction was all of their friends around them started laughing hysterically and they were like oh that's so funny because they already have a therapist (laughs) i was like you're 10 i don't have a therapist (laughs) so like these kids are like they're brilliant and they're They're changing the world and we are just along for the ride yeah i had to speak to city council the other day too Mm. and two of our board members were there and we're like you were really well spoken that was really good and i was like hell yes yeah screw you imposter syndrome validation goes a long way so if you have good words for us yes i have such wicked imposter syndrome all the time and then i do a thing and people are like that was so good i'm like oh shit i actually know what i'm doing Every day of my life that I put on my trans hat, I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. Who am I? Am, <laughs> am I, I trans, trans and I? Trans? Yeah. So. <laughs> it's a thing. Imposter syndrome. For real. Um, anyway, thanks for joining us. Um, be kind to yourself and others. I will see you next week. We love you. Bye. <laughs>